Welcome to the Onassis Air Conversations. My name is Mirto Katsimicha. I'm a curator and cultural worker based in Athens and your host in this series of recorded encounters with the participants of Onassis Air. Founded on the principles of learning and doing with others, Onassis Air is an international research residency program in Athens initiated by the Onassis Foundation in 2019. They say that what happens in one place stays in that place. I cannot find a better way to describe all the things that have been happening inside the Onassis Air House since I first entered as a participant of the Critical Practices program in fall 2019. The truth is, it is not easy to transmit an open-ended process of relationing which is very personal and relevant to a specific place and moment in time. How can I then give you a glimpse into that process? Everything starts with a conversation. Throughout this series, I'll be speaking with the Onassis Air participants to shed light on their artistic practices and needs, as well as to reflect on ways of being and working together. In this conversation, I'll be speaking with Lito Skopeliti. Lito is a climate justice activist based in Athens. She's part of the global support team of the international movement Extinction Rebellion and part of the participative democracy workgroup that provides tools for communities in order to foster deliberative participatory democracy processes through people's assemblies. She's a participant of the School of Infinite Rehearsals Movement 3 with a collective research focus on issues of ecologies. Drawing from her experiences in performative activism, we will discuss together about the importance of collective action and of cultural practices towards a regenerative culture of resilience and care. Lito, welcome to Palirum. Thank you very much, Mirto. Very happy to be here. Lito, your practice encompasses performative practices, activism, academic writings and trainings. Your first degree is in theatre studies and uh, your thesis focused on the importance of doubt in contemporary performance. I could see this as a prelude to your involvement with activism later on. And I'm curious to know from you how you perceive doubt as an active form. Okay, that's a nice question. Actually, going back uh, in my theatre studies, that was indeed my first degree, um, I got early from early steps very fascinated by performance and all the notions of presence, embodiment. Uh, uh, I, I saw performance like challenging all the mainstream structures of art, art and theatre, but also being very provocative in the socialist sphere. Uh, uh, for me, performance can bring everything under question and can like uh, can be a very powerful medium and practice to use uh, in, in activism. Uh, performative activism for me is a practice I use to push for action and raise visibility in an art and funny way, in a way that feels good. And this is the practice I use uh, with the Extinction Rebellion working groups I'm involved. 
From uh, what you said, I understand that uh, you see performing studies uh, as a medium to facilitate and open the discussion on socioeconomic issues. Uh, I want you to elaborate a bit of on what is performative activism and what kind of tools or practices do you employ in order to nurture regeneration, repair and reconciliation, which I understood that these are like the main goals of uh, Extinction Rebellion and such movements? Uh, performative activism is, is a way to open discussions and to create political pressure and provocate uh, by itself and how we use it in Extinction Rebellion is a non-violent practice of activism. Um, in, in the context of building uh, momentum in a movement uh, of civil disobedience, as it's, uh, for example, the Extinction Rebellion to Occupation of London uh, and the Central Streets, uh, performative activism is one, one medium, one way to use, uh, then the question comes of how we network among us and how we cooperate among us. Um, performative activism goes hand to hand with nonviolence, decentralization and regeneration, regenerative patterns of communication among us. Um, a medium we use very much in a decentralized uh, network of people is, uh, how how can we cooperate in smaller groups and be effective so we use a lot the the um, assembling assemblies as a medium people's assemblies is what we use uh, in order to make decision to hear each other and uh, performative activism is what can come as a as an outcome as a choice of a specific working group Do you want to talk a little bit about how you got involved with all these uh, movements? When uh, when did you start um, engaging more with activism and uh, how are you working with that at the moment? Uh, since uh, very young, I was very engaged with uh, the topics of uh, Social, social justice. I was very involved with grassroots initiatives of offering, uh, help and aid to support, for example, uh, minorities, refugee groups. And growing, growing up, I start to realize the damage we have done to the environment and what, what does this mean and all the dangers that are involved with the damage we have done to the environment and the climate. Um, so I felt very inspired back in 2019 when I saw the rising of, um, of a movement of groups of people uh, going out, uh, rebelling in a nonviolent way about the climate, uh, the climate injustice and the sixth mass extinction event, which is Extinction Rebellion. By the time I was living in Spain, in Mallorca, and uh, I was working with an organization helping refugees, and I searched and found the Extinction Rebellion uh, group of Mallorca, and we made, we started making a lot of performative activism in the streets of Palma. And this is how I entered the Extinction Rebellion world that was a very inspiring and very giving world for me. Uh, I got more engaged in actions, I got more engaged in assemblies, 
And then I traveled to London to be part of the big rebellion that was the occupation of London for two weeks. I was there also involved in affinity groups and working groups and also living with all the rebels and tent in the square or in a catacomb in a church. It was a very, uh, very transformative uh, point of my practice in, in activism that led to a next level of being in a local grassroots initiative of mutual aid to being in a large campaign of big action and how this is operating, how this is working and what that means for us that we participate in that and what changes it can bring in the structural level. You mentioned, and I know that you have been involved with activism for very long, and you are currently part of an international group as well as a regional one on climate justice and civil disobedience. And that's that's a lot of collective work already on the issues of ecologies. So I was wondering what prompted you to apply for the School of Infinite Rehearsals? What really attracted me in the School of Infinite Rehearsals what was that question of the specific movement I was part uh, uh, was part of was that that statement of everything equally involved and I feel all these years in my in my practice how can everything be equally involved is is a question I carry with me um, so I wanted to work more of these questions that I I, I bring and carry inside me. Uh, how we can move from extraction to resilience and from scarcity to abundance. Uh, how we can create an all-inclusive culture that can thrive. Uh, this is what have led me in a lot of practices, like in climate activism, but as well in more tangible, practical uh, tools, how to restore the air, how to restore the soil. This is something that I would be, I was very interested to explore further with other colleagues that are in the same chapter, that are around the same questions. And this is what I wanted to explore further in the movement of the School of Infinite Rehearsals. But before we move to the school, um, I wanted to ask you one last question about activism. Um, from my own experience with collective organizing, I know that this is a very long and ongoing process with lots of ups and downs that requires a lot of patience and persistence. And somehow you reach a point where you are quite tired and you feel that you cannot move on. And then um, perhaps um, you're waiting for a little reward, let's say. So my question is, was there a particular moment throughout all these years when you could actually see that the change that you were advocating for was happening? I would definitely say that that was uh, on December 2019 when the European Union declared the climate emergency. So it felt that after lots of campaigns and civil disobedience and a lot of people protesting and raising awareness... It's the first time that actually environmental and climate issues are the top of the agenda and at the top of all the uh, conversations in the EU level and national level in the United States and United Nations level. So the issue of climate and environment has become the top of the list. And this can be considered a win of all the people pushing for that. Mm, it's definitely an emergency. 
I remember your curated day. We were in Egina, and uh, for that particular curated day, we were on the beach. And you gave us a short intro about your practice, and you sh- shared with us some tools that you are bringing with you from your experience in working groups and people's assemblies around decision making and collective discussions. Um, and you're also trained as a facilitator in effective listening. So how do you see your own individual practice merging with the collective one that you built as a group during these six weeks? I remember that day. It was a lovely sunny day in February and it was the first swim of the year for some brave of us who went on the sea. And uh, this is where I shared people's assembly as a method, as a a way to facilitate a talk of more than one person and make uh, decisions and hear each other uh, effectively. Uh, So all this uh, structure of how you can have this talk, who, which are the roles, the convener, the note keeper, uh, the hand signals that bring the temperature check and uh, assure how the, the word the, uh, is being distributed among the circle of people who speak and how you can make decisions based on consensus of the team was a tool that was adapted by our our team organically it was not imposed i shared it and it was adapted organically we u- were using this uh, as a as a way to facilitate our talks and how to make decisions to uh, for example where do we want to focus more how do we want to spend the next week where do we want to go and these kind of things that our w- group was about uh, for the one month and a half we were together and it was Um, it was pretty useful, I think. Yeah, I remember that when you had to make the decision about the trip, um, you did two votings, if I remember, and uh, you kind of used the hand signals to express um, whether you wanted to go to the first destination or not. Exactly, because it's very important. It's not something... uh, edgy that is like we vote this and we go for that is always about the temperature of the group so we were very upset even though something was winning so we decided to calm down take it back and go again in our options and see uh, in a second eye what we can do and finally we decided to go to Prespes which was the most uh, extreme destination we had among our options and it, it worked. We were all happy for this trip. So in your group, you decided to focus on the element of water. What aspect of water attracts you the most? Oh, wow. So it was the first time uh, that I had a material medium to work around. And uh, water has a lot of aspects and is not a merely resource, but is is a relational uh, medium uh, that is related to beings, to creatures, is a carrier of minerals, uh, shaping lands. And that is one aspect, the relational aspect of water. Another aspect that I'm very fascinated is the political aspect of water. 
water is a political resource, uh, water is a natural border. And that was very clear in Prespes, where the lake was the the border between uh, three countries. And of course, the last aspect I'm very fascinated about water is its circularity. The, the circles of water, of water bodies are, and uh, whose disturbance is actually what climate change is all about. What was uh, the most interesting finding for you in Prespes? What did you do there? Uh, the most interesting finding and the most upsetting thing for me was the to learn that Prespa Lake is shrinking because of the um, smaller periods of snowfall. And the shrinking of the lakes of Prespa uh, reveals new land. And this is what the locals said, that it can lead to conflict with the other countries, with the other three countries that we said, because it's a new land and who this land belongs to. That was, for me, the most upsetting. Because when you arrive in Prespes, you see really a blessed place. It's amazingly beautiful and very abundant. And there is all this biodiversity, so many different species of birds and fishes and bears are in the forest and wolves and you can walk in the around the village and you can see footprints of wild pigs and baby baby wolves and then you realize that even this place that has so many waters has streams and rivers and big lakes even this place can be heavily affected by climate change so there is less snow so there is disturbance in the whole ecosystem of how the the animals reproduce themselves and how the plants are uh, sprouting and flourishing. And then is the, this political aspect of revealing new lands and a resource becoming more and more in a more scarcity. Mm. Well, I've never been to Prespes, but hearing from your uh, memories and what you brought back, all of you, not just uh, you, Lito, um, I'm very fascinated to, to go there because I understood that it's a beautiful biotope, but it has also a very long political and political history um, connected to, to the lake. I know that the research trip happened during uh, these weird times that we are living. Did you have the chance to meet any locals there? And what kind of uh, discussions did you manage to develop? Well, we were very lucky. We were able to assure that we are COVID-free. Uh, so we had the chance to speak with the people living and working there, especially related to the environmental aspect of the, this biotopos. Uh, we spoke with... Uh, botanologists, we spoke with mushroom hunters, we spoke and encountered with people who are into sustainable business, with people who are into the environmental protection of the place. Um, There is this uh, association also that uh, works for the protection of the lake. What, what's the name? Uh, the Association for the Protection of Prespas. And that was funny because we actually had this talk when we were here from uh, Zoom and not while we were there. They have done an amazing job starting from actually scratch on how to 
raise how important it is, this biotopos, and how important it is actually to preserve all this richness and abundance the natural world has there. And they started to really working on this, and it took them many years. And finally, they have come to this point where they can say this is a protected area. We have managed to save some kind of bird populations. This uh, uh, fish in the river is protected and you can fish from that period or that period. They have done tremendous work. It was very interesting to speak with locals there who work on the environmental issues because they faced a lot of hostility at the beginning from the local communities. I think the local communities felt weird that somebody comes and say to them how to do the things. What was highly important for me and what I really got and keep with me is how those women were shared how important it is to be bold and to be consistent. When you have a goal and when you have a mission, how important it is to stay there and continue to do what you're about to do. And there will be difficulties and maybe it will not happen from one night to the other. But be consistent, be there, continue. That is a big lesson for me. Yeah, how actually to to be present in a situation and to um, have the the courage to continue. Exactly. Besides the trip, in what other ways did you expand uh, your research together? Since we were a group of different uh, practices, coming from different practices, we expanded collectively the research in different aspects. Uh, for me, it was the first time I was working with a tangible medium like the water. Uh, had uh, that the research had a kind of materiality, which was the water. The water was the medium, was the method around which we are working on. Um, this, beyond our trip to Prespas, led to very fascinating encounters with uh, people who are working or are around the water um, communities from academics to uh, local communities who are active in protecting, preserving their water resources. A very fascinating encounter for me was to speak with the villagers of Stayates village in Pilio. Uh, Stayates is a village of few citizens in the mountain of Pilion, who the last year have declared um, the the autonomy of uh, they had declared that they do not recognize the authority of the mayor of Volos to take decision about uh, their resources in this case the water and that the assembly of the village has the authority to make decisions for the village so the problem with the Stayatian waters is that they are in a project of becoming private to be sold in private companies uh, that sell water and that the village will then be connected with an, the, a network of other villages uh, to take water from other villages through pipelines who throw chlorium in their water and stuff. Uh, it, uh, we got all the big history of what is going on. It's a long history. It's a very interesting history. We got all the connection that the, these people have 
with their springs and they are really not willing to give up and they are really willing to take care of their uh, precious resource. And uh, to don't go long on that is, is an amazing, very inspiring struggle. Do check it out. Um, I will definitely do it. I wasn't aware of that, actually. So it was nice to hear about that. So instead of drinking fresh water from the springs, the municipality wants to sell off, let's say, the water. So And the people will start getting water from elsewhere. Exactly. And were there any other kinds of references in your research, any readings that you did together? From the the new books and the new academics that really inspired me during this one month and a half was uh, Haraway and her relational ontology approach. Uh, was Anna Tsing, uh with her way of like choosing a medium, a materiality in her, case of Anatzing was the fungi, the mushrooms, to speak about um, new ecologies and uh, overcoming, uh, being resilient in these precarious times we are living in, like the fungis. So it was a nice coincidence that in Prespace you actually went on a truffle uh, route with a local practitioner there. We went on a truffle route during heavy snow with the most... Uh, brilliant dog I have seen and it was heavily snow and the dog couldn't care less he was jumping in the snow and she found some truffle but it was not a truffle season but she indeed found some truffle it was amazing Lito we are reaching the end of our discussion today but I have one last question for you and that would be what's next well at the moment I'm very focused uh, to finish my a master degree in social and solidarity economy. I'm uh, focused on the the energy transition in Greece and how this can happen in a socially fair way. And beyond that, uh, I'm sure I will continue more with uh, climate activism. There are more actions coming up. The, the, issue, never, the issue never stops. Well, thank you so much. It's been really inspiring to to hear about your collective work. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you for listening. If you want to listen to more conversations, please subscribe to our channel. You can find more about the UNASSE residency program and each participant at www.onasses.org. This series is produced by UNASSE Thanks to Nikos Kolias, the sound designer of the series, and to Nikos Liberis for providing the original music intro theme.